Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church Online. My name is Steve Polk. It's glad to have you join us today for our broadcast. Uh, Pastor's continuing his series on the kingdom of God and our place in it. And today is probably one of the top two or three topics that becomes a, a point of discussion when sharing and, and talking about the Christian faith uh, in the world today. It is the idea of suffering. And where does that come from and what is that all about and how does that manifest itself really in our walk with God and what and who suffers and what is that uh, going to be. So Pastor Steve is going to unpack that today. So I want you to go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word, uh, grab a notepad and a pen and get ready to really pay attention today as we dig deep on the topic of suffering as we walk in faith. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your Word. It's timelessness, it's application, and how meaningful it is to our lives even right now. Lord, the topic of, on the table today is suffering. It's one we don't enjoy. Uh, we certainly don't enjoy suffering at all, and we, we want to better understand it. If, if God is so loving, why do people suffer? And that's a big question in our world today. So Lord, today as we dig into that, pray that you would help us see clearly what you have for us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Dementia is a terrible illness that many of us today are dealing with in our families. My mom is 84 years old in relatively good health and able to live by herself and function okay. Have a relative who lives next door, others who are very, very close by. So she's, she's doing well, except she does have some dementia. It mainly affects her short-term memory. And I will call mom and I know those conversations are going to be brief, four or five minutes, because we just keep repeating ourselves. And, and I know that she's going to ask me the same two or three questions two or three times during that brief five-minute conversation. Many of you listening to this are dealing with that in the lives of people you care about as well. Um, my D group this past year, there were five of us, and all of us, each of us, were dealing with aging parents who were who were dealing with illness. Four of us had parents dealing with dementia, another one with health issues. It's just part of life. And the, the longer you live, the more you're going to experience things like that. Suffering. Suffering is a part of life. Some people suffer more than others, but the truth is suffering is something we all deal with. Our human body, God created it as an amazing, intricate, beautiful thing but it's not perfect. It gets sick. It dies. We hurt. We suffer. And, and what we'll talk about today is, is what scripture teaches about suffering and help us understand how we are to approach it, how we are to, to deal with it, if you will. I've been preaching for several weeks now a series called God's Kingdom and our place in it. So what place does suffering have in the kingdom of God? We, as followers of Jesus, are citizens of his kingdom. Why do we suffer? How are we to understand suffering? So I invite you to open your Bible with me first this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which was written by the Apostle Paul to believers in the city of Corinth in modern Greece, 1 Corinthians 15. Because in this chapter, he talks about the body, he talks about suffering, and he talks about healing from suffering. 1 Corinthians 15, he says something really interesting in verse 50. Would you look at it with me, please? He says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood, flesh and blood, this earthly body, this human body, he says, cannot inherit 
the kingdom of God. Look at that again. Flesh and blood, this body, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not going to have this same body in heaven. This body that gets sick, this body that hurts, this body that experiences suffering, that I'm not going to have this body in heaven. So when the Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, what does that actually mean? And what does it teach us about suffering? That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to share with you that something that helps me understand what the Bible says about this issue is, is this. First, I like to look at the big picture. And then secondly, only after I've looked at the big picture, look at the more details, the more specific, small things. It's kind of like a puzzle. You buy a puzzle and you, you look at the picture on the cover of the box and you sit there, sit that there beside you. And as you take those little pieces of the puzzle, whether it's a 500 piece or a 1000 piece puzzle, you, you, you keep that big picture in mind as you're trying to put the little pieces together. I think it's important for you and me to do that same thing when it comes to understanding what the Bible teaches about suffering and us as people who are in his kingdom. And the two big important biblical teachings, two big important biblical truths that I think form the big picture I want us to keep in mind as we look at what the Bible says about suffering are these. One is that ultimately all suffering is because of sin, the result of sin. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that every time you hurt, every time there is suffering in your life, you can trace it back to a specific sin you committed. In other words, because you did A, you are suffering B. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. Now, sometimes, sometimes that's true, but not always, not, not always. What I do mean is that suffering ultimately is because of sin. Sometimes my own sin. Sometimes I suffer because of the sins of other people. And ultimately, it's because of the sins of Adam and Eve, our forefathers, and bringing you know, the original sin that's recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 3 that brought about the fall of humanity and the fall of, of the world of nature and how it impacted everything from our body to the ground, to the universe, to the physical nature. Because of sin, the Bible teaches that this body, which was created in the image of God as a beautiful, intricate, perfect body, is not perfect any longer. It is a sinful body and subject to illness, subject to, to death, subject to suffering. And so the universe, when God created the world, a beautiful place, sin ruined it. And now we have natural disasters. Nature has fallen and humanity has fallen. Our body suffers because we don't have a perfect body and we suffer because we live in an imperfect universe or natural world. That's the first thing I want you to keep in mind that will, that will help you see the, the big picture of the puzzle is that ultimately, ultimately all suffering can be traced to sin in some way. The second part of that big picture on the cover of the puzzle box, if you will, is this. God's kingdom, what we've been talking about for the last several weeks, God's kingdom is both here and now as well as then and there. We enter God's kingdom in the present day when we place our faith in Jesus and become his follower and his kingdom is growing. But we do not today enjoy all the benefits 
of God's kingdom. His kingdom is not going to be fully realized until the end of the age when Jesus comes back and the resurrection of the dead takes place. And the physical universe, not just the resurrection of our physical bodies, but the physical universe is restored to perfection. So those are the two things I want you to keep in mind as we look at specific teachings in the Bible to help us understand suffering. One is that ultimately all suffering can be traced to sin. And secondly, God's kingdom, which we're part of as citizens of the kingdom, as followers of Jesus, is both here and now, but it's not fully realized in the here and now. It will only be fully realized at the second coming of Jesus at the end of the age. And when I keep these two big truths in mind, it helps me understand what I read in the Bible about suffering. It helps me apply God's truth to my life and find encouragement. And I believe it can do the same thing for you. Now, there are two chapters in the Bible. One is 1 Corinthians 15, the other is Romans chapter 8, which really help me understand suffering as a, as a believer and, and its place in the kingdom of, of God. And uh, it helps me not only understand it, it helps me, you know, when I'm talking to my mom and, and uh, I may have a tendency to get frustrated when she's asking the same question over and over and I'm having to repeat myself. It helps me understand what's going on in her body. It helps me, it helps me understand things when I have to go to someone's home because a loved one in that family committed suicide. And unfortunately, I've had to do that too many times in my ministry. It helps me as I pray and think and prepare to officiate the funeral of someone who's who's died. And I'm hoping today helps you as you face suffering and deal with suffering in your own life. First Corinthians chapter 15. I hope you have your Bible open and follow with me because I'm going to do some teaching for the next few moments and look at several Bible verses. In this chapter, the Apostle Paul begins by discussing Jesus dying for our sins and then being raised from the dead and how his resurrection is necessary for our resurrection. It, in fact, guarantees our resurrection. And then he talks about suffering. He talks about death. And I want to pick it up in chapter 15 at verse 21, if you will, in your Bible. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 21. Let's look at some of these, uh, some of these verses. He says, for since by man came death, referring to Adam, that in the beginning death came as a consequence of Adam's sin. And so he says, for since by a man, by Adam came death, and by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Jesus' resurrection precedes ours and guarantees ours. So just be, so similarly, just as Adam's sin brought death to all of humanity, Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection as disciples. He continues in verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. In fact, listen, everyone's going to be raised from the dead, those who are saved and those who are lost, those who follow Jesus and those who don't follow Jesus. It's just that the destiny of those two groups, as we talked about in recent weeks with the great separation at the second coming, the destiny of those two groups is going to be different. But everyone's going to be raised from the dead. So that's the first point that he makes in those two verses. Now, I want you to notice and remember from Genesis as we go forward, from Genesis 3 in the fall of humanity, that nature 
the universe, the natural world was impacted by the fall of man and our own physical bodies were impacted. So when Adam brought death, it wasn't just death to this body. It was death, so to speak, to the universe. This is an imperfect world in which we live. Now look with me at verse 23. He says, but each in his own order. Now notice this, he's talking about the resurrection. Each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. So Jesus is the first fruit, but there's going to be more fruit. He was the first one raised from the dead to an eternal body. But at his second coming, all of us who know him are also going to be raised from the dead in a very similar manner. But that is in the future. That's our future. Now look at verse 24. Verse 24 of chapter 15, he adds, Then comes the end. So the second coming and the resurrection and the end of the age is all at the same time when he hands over the kingdom of God, what we've been preaching about. When Jesus hands the kingdom of God and the Father, when he hands it over to the Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. And what he's saying is that the second coming, there are several things Jesus is going to abolish. He's going to put an end to. He's going to destroy. And one of those is all this spiritual authority. In other words, Satan, all of his power, his demons, all of his influence will come to an abrupt end at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, continuing in verses 25 and 26. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So at the second coming, Jesus puts an abrupt end to Satan and his power and influence, but he also puts an abrupt end to death and all the damage that it does. But until then, between now and then, the here and now, we are followers of Christ living in his kingdom, under his rule, under his authority, but we have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan, who influences us, who seeks to tempt us and to destroy us and to get us off the path of discipleship. In the here and now, even though I'm a citizen of the kingdom and I have that spiritual enemy, I still live in this body. When I got saved, I was born again spiritually. I have a spiritual life, but I'm still in this earthly, physical body that hurts, that suffers, and that will die but I'm guaranteed because I'm in Christ a future resurrection, a future new body where there will be no death because death will come to an end. I'm still here now in this fallen world, this sinful world where I'm subject to temptation and suffering. But at the second coming of Jesus, I will begin living in a new place, in a new heaven where all the bad things associated with this place and this life cease to be. Now, after that, Paul goes on to tell us even more detail. So it's like you're looking at that big old picture box of the puzzle. And he says, you've got a resurrection in the future, the second coming, when God puts an end to all these things and you get a new body. Now, you start working on the little pieces in the middle of the puzzle. He says, let me tell you more about those little pieces. Let me tell you more about this new body you're going to have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, would you look with me at verse 35? He says rhetorically, someone will say, they'll ask a question. How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So in the future, at the second coming, when we're raised from the dead and get that new body, what's that new body going to be like? Well, he explains, and we don't have time to look at all of it, but very briefly, look with me at what he says in verse 40. 
He says there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Two different bodies. See, the resurrection doesn't mean I have this body. I have a new body. There's a resemblance to this body, but it's not this body. There's a heavenly body, one made for the afterlife, one made for heaven, and there's an earthly body, one made for this sinful world. And he says the glory of the heavenly one and the glory of the earthly one is another. Beautiful things about this body in the here and now, even more beautiful things about that new body than in there. Now he continues talking about it. Drop down to verse 42 or verse, uh, yeah, verse 42. He says this, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. This body, when it dies and is buried, is a perishable body, meaning it is one that grows old, that it decays, it, 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 it diminishes, it perishes, but it is raised an imperishable body. The new body cannot grow old. The new body cannot wear out. The new body cannot fade away. The new body cannot die. He says in verse 43, this body is sown in dishonor because it's not a perfect body. It's been touched and tainted by sin, but it is raised in glory. That new body is going to have all the glory of Christ, all the glory of heaven, never tainted, never touched by sin, no dishonor of any kind. He continues in 43 saying it is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. There are things this body just can't do, but that body, a powerful body. 44, it is sown a natural body, a a body of this world, of nature and physical body, if you will, but it is raised a spiritual body, a body that is prepared for heaven, a body of that different realm. If there is a natural body, he says there is also a spiritual body. So yes, my body will resemble this one. How do I know? Because when Jesus was raised from the dead, he resembled himself and people recognized him. But it wasn't the same body. It was a spiritual body. It was a different body. And so it will be for you and me. Resemble this one, but different. It's not just the resuscitation of this body. It is the transformation of this body into a new spiritual, eternal, heavenly, powerful body. Now drop down to verse 50 where we started. He says, now I say this then, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Thank God, I'm thankful. I'm glad this body is not the one I'm going to have in heaven, but instead I'm going to have this new spiritual body that will never hurt, never suffer, never die, never experience pain. And so that's what he's telling us. I'm, I'm looking forward to having that new body where I don't have to worry about tearing my rotator cuff as as I did a couple of years ago, where where I don't have to worry about getting old and dying or getting sick and die. I'm I'm looking forward to that. My wife, Monisa, her father, Jack, lived to be uh, 91, I think it was, and I can still remember when Jack was in his 70s. Now, I want you to think about this. For, for his life, he was a, he was a, a painter. He was a, a fix-it guy. Uh, I can still remember Jack in his 70s on the roof of his house, not only fixing shingles, but leaning over the edge with a paintbrush, painting the fascia board there under the roof of the house. And it's in his 70s. When he was in his 80s, his granddaughter caught him on a large ladder inside her house, about 15 feet high, checking something in his 80s. When he was 88, he still raised his own garden. He spent the last two years of his life in a nursing home 
bedridden. Not able to get out of the bed on his own, not able to walk on his own, not able to go to the bathroom on his own. That was not my father-in-law. He was the exact opposite of that. And I look forward to seeing him in heaven, not only able to move about, but with that new body that's even better than the active one he had all those years before he had to convalesce in the nursing home. I'm looking forward to seeing the real Jack. Our daughter Jacqueline, six years ago, developed breast cancer and had surgery. She's still on medication for it. She'll be on medication for at least another five years and from time to time has to deal with the side effects. I look, I look forward to her having a body where she doesn't have to deal with side effects from cancer treatment. I, I look forward to her having a body where we don't have to worry about getting a call that maybe it's, it's returned because about a year ago we had a real scare. I look forward to that. And what Paul is saying, is that yes, we suffer in this body because when Adam and Eve sinned and, and, and human, humanity fell and the universe and the natural world fell, our bodies fell. And because of that, our bodies will suffer. Our bodies get sick. But God's kingdom, we enter it now. We become a citizen of his kingdom now. But then we realize all the benefits of it. And one of those benefits of being part of God's kingdom is I get a new body that will never hurt the way this one hurts. And I am looking forward to that. But you see, when humanity fell in the garden, it wasn't just this body that became sinful and imperfect and fell. So did the natural world, the physical world, the universe. And a lot of our suffering is because of this world that we live in. There's natural disasters. There's disease and other things. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bible. You're in 1 Corinthians 15. Just go back to the book before that, to the book of Romans, and look with me at chapter 8, because in this chapter, Paul talks about the suffering that takes place because this natural world, this physical world is fallen, and there are natural calamities and disasters. But he also talks about how that's going to end when the kingdom of God is fully realized. God's kingdom is growing in the here and now, but once that growth is complete and God's kingdom is fully realized, this physical universe is also going to change. Just like our body's going to change, so is the universe, so is this physical world. Romans chapter 8, look with me at verse 19. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. He says, For the anxious longing of the creation, the creation is the physical universe waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, what he's saying there is he's, he's personifying creation. He's personifying the natural world, if you will. And he says it's like this natural world, this physical world is anxiously waiting for the day when God reveals his sons. In other words, the second coming of Jesus, when God makes known to the whole universe, these are mine and these are not. When that day of the great separation comes, when the good fish are separated from the bad fish, when the wheat are separated from the tares, as we discussed in previous weeks, at that time when the revelation of the children of God, when, when Jesus comes back and the resurrection of the dead occurs and he says, these are mine, enter into the joy of the Lord. These I did not know, depart from me on that day. He says, the physical universe 
is waiting for, anxiously, eagerly waiting for, longs for that day. What an image. What an image. Well, he continues in chapter 8 of Romans. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, here's why it's waiting for that day. For the creation, the natural world, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, what does all that mean? He's going back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, when humanity fell, God decided that he would not allow a sinful humanity to live in a perfect world. So just as humanity fell and this body fell and our minds fell, creation fell. And God changed the world to match us. If we are sinful and imperfect, guess what? We live in a sinful and imperfect world, a fallen natural world. That's what those verses are talking about. And that Creation, the natural world is looking forward to the day when our bodies are redeemed because in that day, the natural world is going to be set free from the corruption, from the slavery, from the imperfection that it was subjected to to match us. That is what those verses are talking about. Now look at verse 22. He says, for we know that the whole creation, the natural world groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. We know when a woman's getting ready to give birth, she goes into labor and it is painful. And he's, he's describing the second coming of Christ when we are raised from the dead and, and redeemed and fully realize all the benefits and blessings of the, of, of the kingdom of God to childbirth. It's like the baby is born, but until then there's suffering and there's pain. And he said, creation, creation is looking forward to that day. But until then, it suffers the pains of childbirth. What are those? It's the tornadoes that this past December swept through the Midwest and killed 92 people, 78 of them in Kentucky. It's, it's the destruction by those tornadoes of downtown Mayfield, Kentucky. It's, it's Hurricane Ida last August that struck the Gulf Coast and then poured torrential rains on the northeast, causing flooding there. And, and between the Gulf Coast and the northeast, the, the, the hurricane and the flooding up north, 91 people died. Every time there's a natural disaster, every time there's a rock fall, every, every time something happens in this natural world, it is creation groaning and suffering the pains, looking forward to the day of birth when, when everything finally is fixed and everything is finally finished when the kingdom of God fully comes. Look at verse 23. And he says, not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our life when we become a Christian, but we still don't have all the benefits of being saved, not until we're in heaven. He says, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. When someone gets a diagnosis of cancer, when someone has a heart attack, when someone gets covid when someone suffers kidney failure, 
The body is groaning. It's the, it's, it's the pain of childbirth as we all look forward to that day in the future when Jesus comes and the resurrection takes place and the natural world is restored and redemption is complete and, and God's kingdom, God's kingdom fully comes. God's kingdom, God's kingdom is fully realized. Oh, what a great day that is going to be. A new body and a new world. A new body and a new creation. We have so much to look forward to. That's the reason the apostle John writing in Revelation 21 verse 4, speaking of that day said, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We'll have no reason to cry then. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain because the first things, the former things, the things of the fall and of sin have passed away. So much to look forward to. But what about now? What do we do until then? As we await that day, living as disciples of Jesus, citizens of his kingdom, but in the here and now where there is suffering, what do we do? Well, look at verse 18 in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That statement blows me away every time I read it. Because I remember how I cried when my daughter had cancer. I remember how I cried when my father died. All of us, all of us have had moments when suffering was painful, suffering was real. And yet he says here, that the glory which awaits us in the future when God's kingdom is fully realized is so incredible, so massive, so great that our worst sufferings in the here and now pale in comparison and are not worthy to be compared to that future glory, which says to me that glory has to be incredible because if it not only makes up for the suffering of this life, but is so great it causes us to even forget about it, It's like that mom when she holds that baby in her arms and she says, oh, that baby is so much more beautiful, so much better than the pain of childbirth. That's why women have second children and third children. And God in a similar fashion is saying what awaits us is so, so much, so much better. What do we do in the meantime? We're going back to where we started in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, knowing that your work is not in vain in the Lord. We don't quit. We don't give up. We don't lose hope. I have a man, he's a friend of mine. He loves the Lord. He served the Lord for so many years and he's into the word and he's growing as a disciple, but he also has dementia. And his commitment, his prayer, and he's, he's told this to me and to others, is that what time he has remaining, he wants to live well, but he especially wants to die well. As a believer, He wants to die well representing Jesus Christ. 
We don't ever take our eyes off our future glory because we allow it in the midst of the present suffering to give us hope and to give us courage, to give us confidence. And we never let go. We never give up. We never quit on Jesus because we have so much to look forward to. I hope this message has helped you. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday.